We'll get to those. Pass them the pass them to Scotch. How about if we stop ass grabbing and get this thing rolling? All right, what do you go. think of that? Welcome to Suggested Donation. I'm Ted Minoff. I'm Tony Sir and I. And we're here with Jay Braun. Braun, Braun. <laughs> <laughs> David, is it Kassan or Kassan? It's Kassan. Is it Kassan, really? Yeah, everybody messes it up. Huh. Yeah, See, really... I don't know what that's like. Well, now what, we kind name, yeah. what kind of name, name is Cass? Tony I actually think... used to, he used to mispronounce his own name because he gave up I correcting gave up. people. Cernai. Yes. Yeah. But my whole life people are like, Cernage. Cernage. I know you as Tony Cernage since yeah. I was a little kid. Like, yeah. I met him How are he you? said Tony Cernage. It's yeah. because the J is silent in Albania. Everybody knows that. I guess so. Everybody <laughs> who's spent time, have you spent time in Albania? N- no. So how do you know that? I don't. I know, <laughs> I know it borders on the Adriatic. It is. And what does that have to do with silent it jazz? Has, I just know it Albania, has lovely beaches. Albania, it borders on the Adriatic. Adriatic. Yes. I always tell the story to my students. It's really funny because everybody always messes up my name. Yeah. But when I was, I think I was starting to show in group shows and I was looking at one of my paintings at one of the shows and I was going to like dust it off like secretly, you know, <laughs> make sure there's no dust on it. And a woman next to me was like, oh, what do you think of the Kassan painting? And I go, I think it's Kassan. And she goes, no, 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 it's Kassan. I know him. I was like, really? <laughs> Please tell me you just went with it. For no, a while. I just. Like, I was oh, like, what is he like? Is he handsome? Is he well built? <laughs> What's he like in the sack? Oh. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. And we're yeah. off. Yeah. Um. Never in the off position. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I actually asked. <laughs> Carry on. I go. I mean, well, I said the painting looks. So, hey. oh, thank you. I'll be here all of the week. <laughs> Please tip your waiter. You've heard it first here. What's the root of your last name? What's the root of your last name? Yeah, it's weird. Um, I always sign with the dash because it, it's in Ellis Island. My, my grandfather came over in 1917. From where? From the border of Romania and, and Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So kind of near Odessa. I guess it's Modavia now. Eastern European. Yeah, very Eastern European. Yeah. And I don't even know if it's a little village that like he lived in is still around. But there was ethnic cleansing that was going on at the time. The Cossacks, it's going to be a real downer now. The Cossacks <laughs> were uh, ethnically were Jewish, uh, right. ethnically. And so supposedly he hid in a well uh, when he was like three and a half, four years old. And then they made it, made it out somehow to America. There's actually a whole book that was written on it. I still haven't read it. Yeah, it's really... Uh, like a family history book? Yeah, or? yeah. My grandfather had written about the entire uh, oh my God, the history of it. Oh, my God, that's amazing. But, Wait, uh, now, now, is this, is this book... Um, is this public? Is this... No, no. It's it actually... Something... It's all hand-bound. Like oh, family okay. yeah. This is a family... Yeah, it's like a, it, I think it was typed on a typewriter. It's wow. crazy. Wow. Yeah. So... A I, I'm, typewriter, you say? <laughs> well, it's funny. So Kickstarter has this thing where they actually have a... You, parallel uh, palette on Kickstarter. <laughs> that's we're parallel. Gonna into, we're going to no, get into no, that. No. I don't want to talk about that. Yes, we will. <laughs> okay, it's cool. <laughs> no, but they, on Kickstarter, before I did my research on my project, I, I was on there. I'm like, there's a typewriter that you can buy that is just a typewriter, and it say, there's nothing to distract you at all. When I bring my laptop to like Starbucks or whatever, a coffee shop, I can't actually write when I'm in my studio because I'm like, I want to paint. Mm-hmm. I want to paint. I don't want to sit here and write an article or, or do anything. You bring a keyboard or your laptop to Starbucks and you're like, oh, no, there's still Facebook. I still have Internet, such and such, such and such. Yeah. They actually have, a, I guess, a little device that is a 
it's kind of fashioned after an old keyboard that you just type on it and it saves everything to an SD card. So there's no distractions. Hmm. And I thought that was the coolest thing. Yeah. I have to like put blinders on to write anything. I get so distracted. I have so much ADHD <laughs> with like Facebook, um, how did, anything else like Instagram. How does that work with your painting though? Because I mean, you are able to channel it when you paint, when you're in your studio and that's, I guess maybe it's, that's like, I mean, that's the one thing that you really want to be doing and then nothing can distract you because you're exactly where you want to be. Right? Yeah, no, that's it. Exactly. And my, my attention span in the studio though is because of painting from life at the art students league for six years or whatever, like nonstop. You know, you probably have the same thing. You can only concentrate in 20-minute bursts. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it's like 20 minutes on, five-minute break. 20 minutes on, five-minute break. But I I'm find, just so in tune with that. But then don't you, like, I don't know, when you're really, like, down to the wire, you're, every five-minute break, you're like, all right, I got to do this, this, and this during the break. And then when the model's up, I'm going to focus on this, this, and this. And, like, then you don't wind up taking breaks. And, you know, the but you, it is, like, four hours, and then the model's done. And Yeah, it's it, a lot of it's going... Uh, I step away from the painting. I'm not necessarily touching the painting, but I'm sitting, I have a chair behind my easel Mm -hmm. that I'm like looking at the painting. You know, you're thinking through the painting as opposed to putting down brush marks or or putting paint onto it. Do you find as you're like getting farther along in your own career and in your own abilities that that time sitting, looking at the painting is sort of expanding? Like the time, like you're able to get done what you need to get done more quickly and efficiently but that assessing is taking long, like you, there's more kind of just like spinning wheels and. Yeah, no, it's exactly, it's, you learn more about what you don't know. Right. As you, as you look at something for so long and you, you build up strategies. I'm sure you guys are the same way. You're like, I need to work on this part to make this kind of flow or this kind of sit in space, or I got to get that part of the arm in today so that tomorrow I can build texture on top of that. Mm -hmm. And then I can layer color glazes on top of that. So I need this to dry so I can work on this passage. And then when I'm backwards every five, every, after every 20, 25 minutes, I'm back assessing it. It's like that edge is too hard. This needs to be brought forward. I need more texture in this area. I want to bring this height in this area up or that area really sucks. This area is actually pretty cool, you know? Yeah. So it's, it, it's that kind of dialogue that you have with yourself when you're working that really plays into things, you know? And so that break isn't really a break. Right. When you think about it, you're building that strategy to be able to cut out the time that you wouldn't necessarily, you might be going the wrong direction if you're just painting the entire time and right. just rendering it or whatever or trying to understand it. And then you just kind of lose track of stuff. And then you're like, no, I should have been doing that. That break becomes this. increasingly important, right? Like, Oh, it's very important. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not a break. Do you, feel, do you feel like you're doing, um, you're revisiting uh, parts of the painting all the time as far as like if you're doing um, at this stage of a figure painting I'm always doing the arm at this stage I'm always doing this thing no it's weird I, I'm totally uh, or is I, everything like new I it's uh, when I demo and when I paint I'm all over the place yeah. all the time I'm constantly uh, like ADHD because I want AD, yeah I'm always moving around the areas of the face trying to like I don't do block-ins when I start I don't I don't do window shading, so I, I finish the forehead, then move into the eye sockets, and move down to the nose, mouth, and all that. I'm constantly linking everything together yeah. and judging the context of where everything kind of sits next to everything, so everything's relative. So you're and almost putting like paint chips, and then the whole time, the whole time, and then and connecting around. them eventually. Yeah. Totally. Now, now that are you? Uh, do you usually do that with um, 
in a kind of routine way with each new painting or is every painting kind of like a new start? Like, oh, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. Or do you go through it in a kind of process that you're always like, this is how I start. This is at it, this stage. Yeah. Um, I think that I do have a process that's kind of innate to what I do in my, it's everything, every painter works in their temperament. You know, temperament is huge. It's like it's someone who wants to really see detail and, and understand things on a, on a micro level versus people that are, they get the impression in an hour and they're good, you know, and they, they're fine with that. The approach, I'm always trying to put a monkey wrench in it. I'm always trying to sabotage it either with like even stupid things like, why are you trying to make it harder? <laughs> well, no, cause I think I'll learn more and it'll have more energy because like good. as a painter who, who people say I, my, my work is rendered or some or such and such. And I, I tend to think of it as, as more about understanding everything, mm-hmm. understanding every passage of color translation and, and value, value movements and even how temperature moves value. That's just what I'm trying to learn on, on a more micro level. And even if the message is necessarily sent with what it is halfway done, I still want to, for myself to learn more about that turning and, and everything. I know we all have the same, same goals, I think in mind. I know, with your work. And yeah, yeah, every you guys painting, it's like a rung on a ladder and yeah, you're climbing yeah. up for the rest I of the I also life. feel like I'm, honestly, I feel like I'm always doing the same painting that I have in my mind. I just still haven't achieved the uh, the excellence of what I want in that piece and, and the living living quality of the painting that I want. So, but each process is, and the only way really to put a monkey wrench into it is to, I don't know, try different brushes or like start with a different type of drawing style or something or a different method and then transfer that over to the canvas or try a different surface that you're using. So I'm constantly experimenting with different surfaces. Like right now, I'm using mirrors. So I'm painting on plastic plexiglass uh, mirrors that are that are embedded into the plexiglass. Oh, wow. So it actually gives you some room and depth for light to actually pass within the piece to make it more it luminous. come back out? Yeah, because, oh. and I don't, and I don't, um, I used to coat it with a gray base, yeah. which I used for, for like a la prima or just quick stuff, but now I'm actually just glazing it lightly with oils because I don't want to break apart that, that light transference. Uh-huh. And it's crazy. If I'm, no one else can see this. So for, maybe I'm looking <laughs> in my paintings too much, but I look into the shadows and I actually see depth in the shadows because the shadows are glazed and so you kind of can see the little bit of that movement and depth of the light coming through the middle. And it, to me, I'm like blown away. I've only done this on two paintings so far. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm totally sold on it. And it's a very archival medium. And I lightly sand it so it adheres really well. And it, there's, it's, a, it's bulletproof for uh, moisture. Moisture is not going to destroy yeah, it. Yeah. It's not going to flex at all because it's a, very, it's a hard surface. So it's plexi attached to... There's a mirror on the back side of the plexi. So you mm-hmm. have like... You have two different sizes. Uh, I mean, like a three millimeter and then a six millimeter. So I guess we'll we'll half maybe not half inch, maybe a quarter of an inch, and then I don't know. Measurements are yeah, d- yeah. defeat me, but um, so it's about that thick yeah. or so, and <laughs> <laughs> that thick. It's about a half inch. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, um, well, not quite a half inch. Quarter inch, quarter definitely inch, quarter, quarter inch versus uh, one one eighth. Right, one eighth of an inch. But the. Uh, the I've tried the one eighth and it actually gives a little bit more space. I can see it a little bit better than the thicker one for some reason. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's really cool. I did this painting of this old woman who lives in my neighborhood. She's kind of like a wanderer. Her name's Dorothy. And uh, I was like blown away by these uh, shadows I was seeing. I'm like showing it to everybody who came to see. I'm like, look at the shadow. Look at the shadow. And they're all <laughs> like, like, he's crazy. Like, exactly. <laughs> nobody they look at you nobody like, got it. There's the guy wandering around the neighborhood. The neighborhood. You're the wanderer talking yeah. about the shadows. <laughs> I actually really think that is what's happening. Anyway, <laughs> like, where do you live? Crazy. I'm in Bay Ridge. Okay. Yeah. Brooklyn. And what is it that you write? You said that you 
take time away from painting to write, or that oh, write, no, I, I, or that writing takes time away from painting. What is it? I mean, I, we always get asked to like write articles and what we do and everything for publications and magazines and stuff. Okay. And so right now I'm writing about this idea of drawing within context mm-hmm. and how to understand something where I'm kind of anti-blocking. Because I feel like you get locked into that block-in. Even if you know not to be locked into a block-in unconsciously, you're still like, I put that there for a reason, and maybe that's right. Describe, that's what, a, to, describe what a block-in is. So just a linear contours of a figure that kind of move, that pretty much stays pretty standard the whole time. You guys know more about it than I do. I think it is a method that is more classical in approach, right? I, um, it's more 19th century. 19th century. Yeah. You know, uh, but it's 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 yeah, weird. Yeah, it's be- not like something no, that you see modern, older. Actually. Yeah, like you don't see like you see f- fragments of like Van Dyke drawings, and yeah. there's no clearly. I mean, I think the block in used to happen in artists' heads, and then we started to like actually write out the long division, and that's what the block in is. Okay, I guess like the so I studied at the Art Students League with artists like. Um, like Bert Silverman and yeah. Sharon Sprung, and it was a more of a an approach where it's it's not as uh, rigorous, I guess, of a training. It's kind of a I used to always say it's like you you just attack the canvas from the inside out, right? And it's almost like you fall either it's like falling down the stairs and landing on your feet. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Harvey Dinnerstein wasn't like telling me how to do a block in when I studied with him. You know, it was more like it was very emotional actually. With every, every, every choice was an emotional response as to why you chose something. Did you feel? That, did you feel that um, it was hard to get that because it becomes this sort of esoteric idea of "Hey, paint with your emotion, paint with your soul," or something like that? Um, I think how, that how did you feel? About I lucked that? out because, well, I had friends that were going to Water Street at the time, you know, and, and that were doing more of a rigorous, like classical tradition type of training, and I kind of like would just quiz them on what they're doing, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of understand that. And at one point, I actually tried to get into Water Street. I think I went to the when it was in Brooklyn. Oh, I, I went. Yeah. I just moved down to Water Street into wa- into the city. And the, actually, when it was on Water Street, on Water Street. Yeah, and yeah. I remember like it was closed, and I left like a note under the door, <laughs> and I was like, "Hey, how do I get involved in this?" I'd love Tony to. found the note. He ripped it up. <laughs> no, someone someone contacted me, and they said, "Oh, you know, this is Water Street just moved. You know, this is my studio now. Such and such. I took it over." But you can come study with me. (laughs) No, I don't even know who it was, actually. I don't even remember who the person was. I was just kind of like, So that's ah, when Water Street I'll never be a great artist. Moved into the city. Yeah, it was right when they moved into the city. And I just kind of like lost track of it for some reason. Right. um, And just went back to the Art Students League. And I think for me, I was lucky because I was painting six to nine hours a day at the league, like Monday through Friday. And you did that for five years? Yeah, more than that, actually. It wasn't until my son was born I had to cut back because I was a stay-at-home dad. Yeah. And actually, it's funny. I won a scholarship to actually study there, like one free class for an entire year. At the Art Students League? On the Art Students League, the day day actually, the night right before my son was born. And I'm like, (laughs) I can't use this anymore. (laughs) So I would come in like one night a week Is there an expiration date on this? I know, right? And I miss that training, you know, being there every single day working from life. I don't do as much life work as I'd like to right now. Right. Because I have to use photography because I had to do that when my son was born. I couldn't have models in if I'm watching him. Right. You know what I mean? We couldn't afford a babysitter at the time. And so... Were you still in Brooklyn at the time? I was in the same building. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So you're and a long-time Bay Ridge resident. I, when I, well, I, I moved there six, 16 years ago. So wow. where, are you, yeah. where are you originally from? Outside Philadelphia, in the suburbs of, of, uh, of Philadelphia, New Jersey. Because um, 
I didn't know if you were like a military like brat. No, or I, something I, when like I was that. younger, yeah, you yeah. were. Yeah, okay, yeah, so yeah. I wasn't wrong. No, no, my. So you uh, moved around. Yeah, my dad was in the air force, but pretty much I think we settled. Is he a fighter in, pilot? I wish. No, he was. Uh, he was uh, <laughs> Top Gun. He flew. He flew some fighters, T thirty eights. But fighter pilots aren't cool people. Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> no, fighter but, uh, <laughs> pilots are the coolest people. If but, movies have taught us anything, <laughs> I know, right? Is that you can be my wingman yeah. anytime, Iceman. <laughs> um <laughs> the uh no he he flew c-130s yeah which were big cargo planes mm-hmm. and but now they have the ac-130 which is like got, which they, are awesome they, yeah they put like a tank like they, out the ends and the side of it so they just roll it's up an on ac-130 gunship they call yeah. it right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. so but, so you were so you you kind of moved around yeah uh, i was born in arkansas uh, <laughs> and i lived there for about a year and then we moved to germany and we, I lived in Ramstein Air Force Base Ramstein. in Germany for four or five years. I forget how long his, his uh, time there was. And then we moved Then we moved to South Jersey. So I was only – I settled in Jersey like six or seven years old. So where did art come in? You know, it's, it's really strange. I think I had these crazy – when we were in Europe, my parents – we used to go on Volch marches all over Germany, mm-hmm. which people marches. They were like hikes for the military and for people all over different sections of Germany and different parts of Germany. And then we'd also go to all the great museums and, and everything. And I had all these flashbacks when I was growing up. When I would see a painting, I'd be like, I feel like I've seen that. And then I'd, I'd say, hey, Mom, like, this is cool. And she's like, oh, yeah, you saw that. You saw that when you were like four right. when we were in Italy. So it's like remembering a dream. like Yeah. You kind of- yeah. And I used to be in classes in, in the suburbs of New Jersey and being like, I know that. I've been there. And then the teacher would be like, no, you haven't. <laughs> but yeah, I have. And I'd like, get in these arguments. I'm like, so I had these like, like, like daydreams and, and like flashbacks, like unconsciously to, uh, to seeing all these great works of art. And then I just started drawing in fourth grade. Mm-hmm. And I think I got a book, a cartoon book, and I'm like, ah, oh, I'd like to see if I could copy this. Like it was a Garfield cartoon. Mm. Like, let me see if I can copy a this. A cat who likes lasagna? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm at it, a loss. It seems that every. It seems like so many people we talk to, uh, whether on the podcast or outside of it, it's the whole cartoon. Like it's the cartoon thing. Yeah, it's like it's like pot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's a gateway. gateway. <laughs> it's a gateway to art. Cartoons, they're bad for you, man. They totally are. All right, don't so, get your kids on cartoons. Yeah, 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 yeah. Were there any paintings though that stood out? Any artists that you remembered or, or kind of moving forward in your life? You look back it was more on sculpture, and like, oh, actually, more really? sculpture. Yeah, sculpture in places. Like uh, any particular sculptures or particular places, or I guess know? more like Michelangelo type stuff. For some reason, to David because I just remember being really monumental. Yeah, yeah, and everything, and just and then actually the slaves that you you see before you actually get to the David, yeah, that's the ones yeah. that are still encased in the blocks. Yeah, those I still remember so those. I feel like that 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 contrapasto twist of the torsos being trapped in the block just is just in debt like written with permanent marker on my brain. Yeah. I think it makes it more magical because it's not it's so just gung ho. It's like Sargent, you know, it's just like he's dashing and chipping away at this thing and yeah. it just happens. It's like ah. But he went I mean he went about it in such a insane way where you know sculptors usually work around and work in he went straight yeah they said the bathtub version right yeah he would just go straight through it that way as opposed to like sort of chip away slowly at the time that just blows me away to know that you can't it's everything is reduction Mm -hmm. there's no adding um so the idea of like an elbow being out like and if it was like this you you would have to know that that's something you're gonna start chipping away at and that distance also 
insane. But don't they also say that his work is only meant to be seen from one direction because of that? But you, what's weird about the, the, the slaves is that – in. I think they look like they're chipped all the way around, though, aren't they? Some of them. I don't know. They, they, they are. They are sure done with that. General, you know. Like, do people know what the bathtub method is? Is basically so like you're. Yeah, describe the bathtub. I mean, this is how I I know it is just that it's as if the figure in the block is submerged in water, and you pull the plug on the drain, and, and slowly, it yeah. slowly lets the water down, yeah. and you start to the figure emerges as it as it breaks the plane of the water. Well, so, well, Michelangelo would always say that it, to him, he was just releasing. Yeah. He was just releasing the figure from the from the marble. And when you see him, you're like, oh, that's awesome As you're, when you're a kid. But the finished David, all the finished stuff is what wowed you. It wasn't until I was – you know, when I saw them later on, the, the slaves, that I was just like, oh, my god. Like where I you know, really understood what it, is, what it was and appreciated it. Well, being able to see – I mean as painters, I think for me as a painter seeing – do you, do you know the Nicodemus that it was a self-portrait of his? It's in the Musée d'Opéra de Duomo. Sorry, Nicodemus. Yeah, well, <laughs> the, uh, there's this beautiful sculpture that Michelangelo did that. Supposedly You're cut was... off, Tony. <laughs> Sorry. Stop interrupting. <laughs> Stop interrupting. Way, way, way. You heard it here first. It's still, you know we're still recording live. Yeah. Tony's had a little drink, so he's feeling wow. sassy. <laughs> Nicodemus. Exactly. Wow. All right. <laughs> Carry on. But Nicodemus, I want to hear all about Nicodemus. Yeah, well, now. everyone knows this sculpture probably because yeah. it's it was supposed to top Michelangelo's tomb when he died. And he had hit a vein, I guess, in Jesus' leg, and it actually supposedly made the leg like insanely small, and it like broke apart and everything, so he just kind of threw it in the basement of the of the the Duomo or whatever they they put like really bad awesome sculptures but he had a, <laughs> he had a self portrait of himself as Nicodemus in the back of the Pietà yeah and you I know a lot of people have drawn this I mean I drew this when I was there in 2003 but you actually see the chisel marks that follow the form of the face and as a painter you're like thinking that's a brush stroke yeah right there and he's thinking like a painter or how much can I learn about form from looking at a sculptor that uses these chisel marks to kind of describe form and really so really awesome. chip it out of the uh, out of the the stone you know and, and how do we chip things out of a canvas I keep thinking about that more and more I'm trying to add more physical texture to my paintings mm-hmm. that flow with the form and turn with the form rather than just just making the canvas really smooth I want to have some of that that extra extra physicality and tactileness that actually hits light, so it kind of makes the form just a little bit more plus. And so I'm thinking slightly more like a sculpture, like I'm pulling the painting, the person out of the canvas in a way, or chipping into the canvas to get more atmosphere. So have you been looking at Rembrandt more because of that? Because I feel uh, like I've, Rembrandt. I've does always that. looked at Rembrandt. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a god. I mean, if you want living breathing luminous paintings yeah. that's the guy to go to yeah. you know even more than uh, even more than velasquez you know yeah or anybody his or his paintings to there's me just are so constantly much soul living. yeah yeah and those paintings are still alive that's what i love about oil painting yeah. the romantic quality of this uh you know how oil paint never never dries just a molecule slow yeah. down yeah and so those paintings are still the, the paint's still moving it's still in there it's still like alive and and Ah, I just love that stuff. Sorry. <laughs> What's weird? Maybe about, I've been drinking too much. No, <laughs> I'm like, no, no. It no. just started. What's weird about um, when you have people ask me as an artist, like, what is it about Rembrandt? It's so hard to. It's so hard to. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> I just got denied Actually, uh, scotch. Yeah, but it's so turn hard. Down, it's so wine. hard to den- like to describe why Rembrandt is so special to somebody who isn't a painter or an artist. 
I never I'd like you'll say the stuff that you'll read in books, and then I'm like, but 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 it's more than that. And then I'm just like, I I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I mean, who would you say is one of your favorite painters? I mean, it's like which is your favorite child? Yeah, that's easy for me. It's, it's I only hard, have one. But. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard, but Rembrandt's up there. Yeah, just because of what you know, what I just said. It's like this un, this like indescribable wow factor. Yeah, like, what would I, you say? I look at like you know, I look at different painters for different things that yeah. I want. It's it's so weird. Sometimes you go into a, it's a weird way of looking when you walk into a museum and you're trying to fix a problem in one of your paintings and you go to a museum for inspiration on how did this person do it? How did this person do it? And then it, you're looking at paintings from a technical aspect where I love Rembrandt for that soul. And, but how did he do that technically? But there is, yeah, there is a technical aspect. There's a rubber that. hits the road kind yeah. of way that he did it obviously. Yeah. And it's not in drawing because his drawing isn't, isn't on point sometimes, you know, like this is bigger than that area or this is smaller right. or this isn't linked, but it has, um, I don't know. It's it's a magical quality, but the I think that it actually speaks to this idea of looking at a painting without looking at the technical. You know, like when you were sixteen, going into a museum, you didn't know anything about painting. Like, what was it that spoke to you at that age, where you didn't you weren't you didn't really care about the technical aspects of a painting? Yeah, you were just coming at painting from a naive perspective. Yeah. I mean, for me, I loved. Uh, I grew up outside Philly, so I'd go to the Philadelphia Museum of Art, and I would see Wyeth's. And then I would also see um, Duchamp, you know, like I love New Descending a Staircase. There's something about that painting that makes it like a classical, it looks like an old master Cubist painting. Hmm. You know, it has that weathering and that quality to it. And also The Bride, which is a painting that hangs next to it. And then I would see abstract expressions like Rauschenberg and the layering and the texture. And it just spoke to the streets for me. You know, if you go on the street, you'll see a Rauschenberg. Mm-hmm. from discarded bills that are put on the wall and the abstraction. And so that speaks to you in a different way. You know, that's more of a realness, actually, sometimes than, than a realist painting will be. You know, someone will render something so lifeless. If you see something that's like speaks to you that's an abstract piece that's like textural and looks like something you saw on the street, you'll see that on the street 10 minutes later when you're on the street. Mm-hmm. And that's almost more real, and you can connect with it that way. Ed doesn't like abstract. That um, that factored <laughs> into your work for. I love I love the idea. Of, well, I was a graphic designer when I moved to the city mm-hmm. uh, for two years, and so I was constantly looking at letter letter forms and fonts and typography and advertising and design. Mm-hmm. And so that formalist aspect, uh, like figure ground relationships and and arranging things and compositions in an abstract way filters into my figurative painting. I mean, I love the figure more than anything, and I love this idea of documenting the emotion and, and the lifelike quality of a person that's in front of us and, yeah. and have them speak to the, to the viewer right. as opposed to my hand speaking to the viewer. Right. You know, so I want to have that in there, but then I also want to frame it in the context of a really interesting design that can help uh, bowie that up, like push the figure out. Mm-hmm. In, in an interesting way that connects with what I see in my everyday life, in my environment, in my in the city, you know, which I love street art and graffiti and I always have as a kid. I used to come up to New York and, and see things when I was like 10 or 11. My uncle lived here and I'd always be like, oh, I want to walk around. I want to soak this up. I want to soak up this atmosphere and, and everything that's here. And then we'd be like, oh, we got to beat rush hour. Got to go home. <laughs> I'm like, OK, as <laughs> they're pulling me out of, of like stores and everything. But uh, that really spoke to me as a kid. And so that's all I've been always trying to get that kind of raw emotive quality that I saw then into what I do now. And mm-hmm. I don't want to be a, a, just a technical uh, person when it comes to painting. I want to have it have like 
just more aspects of my life that, that are just filtered in just, I guess, magically. I don't know how, <laughs> through osmosis, I don't know how it's done. You know what I mean? But I want to charge the paintings with weight. Do you, think, do you think there's a way to balance the two? The technical I'm trying to do. I mean, I'm very technical. You know what I mean? I'm trying out every paint, every medium, everything, you know, and in as sound a way as possible. And I'm hoping there's a way to balance it. I definitely think there is, mm-hmm. you know. When you were talking about painting a figure or somebody and you're trying to get them, talk to them, and you did a, you did a couple of videos um, films, whatever. I don't know. What do you, what do you call them? No video sounds so. Okay. Videos. I call it the cinema. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I mean, uh, but but generally there, but there were, um, one of the things I I think I remember reading is that talking to the model and as you were making the painting, you were getting to know this person in front of you and and how it affected the actual painting itself. Yeah, you know, I, I really love this idea of the instructional documentary, mm-hmm. <laughs> which Michael Klein did an amazing video that I love. I loved his video, and I love the video it was his, he based his on. It was uh, the Garcia, yeah, you know, Dream Lopez, of Light. Which is so yeah. great. Garcia one. Yeah, and that's one of my favorite films. And so I was like, I really want to do this kind of thing too, and I don't want to just make a raw instructional right. video. And the, but people want some, like if you're a With painter. bullet points, like to, take out a number two br- round brush. People, and, people want that, though. Yeah, people I know. really want that. And so it's a difficult balance to, to get this documentary quality with still a lot of meat and information. Right. So that's kind of what I was trying to tackle. And so I had, I had Jason, and I basically went through the approach that I would do if I was doing a live painting from my studio. And so I had Jason, and she posed for like 30 hours. We painted Jace. Yes. Did you guys paint Chase? Yeah. A long time ago. Yeah, yeah, see, I met her at the Spring Street studio. Oh, yeah. And I was like, this woman's crazy. Yeah, she's, she's, she's great, though. Yeah. Uh, she, with the money I gave her to model for that that whole, it was like a six months we were shooting this thing. She was in and out of the studio like five or six times. So, she used the money to move to Paris. Oh, wow. And so she actually wanted to, she wanted half of the, uh, I paid her in installments, uh, and she wanted half of it up front so that she could buy a plane ticket and go during... In between the sessions. Ew, were you afraid, I was like, like I'm, you're never going to come back? I was like, I'm never going to see you again if yeah. you end up, like, going off to yeah. Paris and, and whatever. And so I was like, well, you know, I can't really give this to you until, like, three months from now or a month from now when we're done filming. Because that was the final installment that she wanted. And I'm yeah. like, you know, i got to make sure I get this finished. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was, it was, it was a great experience, though. It, filming and stuff is a lot of fun. Filmmaking, I've, like, got the bug. Are you doing it yourself? Or? I have a friend of mine. She has a, a picture company called Movet Pictures, and her name's Chloe Lee. And she's, uh, she's been, like, my go-to, like, film person all mm-hmm. the time. Like, actually flew her out to Italy, and we did some uh, interviews with some artists there, and I did some landscape painting that mm-hmm. she filmed, as well as uh, I'm doing this. Uh, my painting series I'm working on right now is I'm painting, actually, uh, children of the Holocaust, mm-hmm. so Holocaust mm-hmm. survivors. And in their actually, adult life, like as yeah, they are right now, now, right, right okay. now. And so I'm having her come with me when I go and I meet the Holocaust survivors and we interview them mm-hmm. with, uh, with her doing really high quality video so that I can piece it together maybe for a documentary or for an exhibition. So I'm thinking if I do 10 to 12 of these, have an exhibition where on the wall there's like headphones or something, you can actually listen to them in their own words, mm-hmm. tell you what they went through. No, did you have any family members who I came? didn't, I didn't. The whole thing with the, I, well, the Cossacks, like, wiping out a lot of my right. grandfather's family and stuff like that. So I guess I do. But that was a different type of Holocaust, you right. know? Yeah. It's, um, I'm always just trying to understand my heritage. When I grew up, my parents were almost, like, not 
really into being Jewish at all. We didn't celebrate anything, had no traditions at all. And I was in the suburbs of, of South Jersey where right. everybody was like white. So and you were never bar mitzvahed? No, I wasn't. No, I don't know anything really about it. And I've just, I took a trip to Israel last April mm-hmm. and just had my mind blown, wow. you know, where it was very secular in Tel Aviv, but it was still all about the tradition of being ethnically Jewish. Right. You know, and where does that all come from? And so that kind of led me on this path of trying to really discover the roots of, uh, of the heritage and everything. Right. What led you to go into Israel? Like, was it? Well, uh, the painting there is incredible. Really? There's some painters there that will literally melt your face off. There's a guy, Aram Reshef, who is like 50-some years old. All he does is paint. Every painting he does is sold off the easel. So he doesn't really – I don't even know if he even shows at all. He studied with Leonard Anderson here in New York. Mm-hmm. Doesn't paint anything like Leonard Anderson. He went back and he started painting like Antonio Lopez and Israel Hirschberg. Do you guys mm-hmm. know those guys? Sure. But unreal. Like 10 by 10 foot by 11 foot canvases of a still life with – Broken tiles, patterns on the tiles. He actually goes to stores, has a pat, the tiles designed by the people. It sounded a lot like what you were doing with your project, with your big still life. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's doing those. Like buildings. Yeah, and they're all from life. Wow. And he paints his entire, his studio. He's painted every little aspect of his own studio and his space. And they're rendered to such a degree of, like, detail. I'm a painter that loves detail and, and all that and, and texture and everything and I'm looking at these things and I was feeling violently ill <laughs> looking at them because they were so, they were so detailed that I was a, I'm a searcher for detail. Yeah. So I couldn't get a rest anywhere I looked on this painting. Oh, it was wow. so much like real life. And then looking at the still lives, I was just, everyone should look up, I'll, maybe we'd put a link or something like that too. Yeah, yeah, work. totally. Um, What's his name? Aram Reshef. And who's buying and his paintings? Like? I'm not even sure if I got that correct. Are they people? I think I think there there's or? a really great community for for Jewish art in in Israel. Mm-hmm. Like they they take care of their own or whatever. I don't know what it is, but my friend Aram Grushuni had brought me out there to do a workshop. So I went out there for about two and a half weeks and got to travel around. And he basically. Uh, so you re- oh, so you went out there to do a workshop, and yeah. while you were there, all of a sudden you discovered something like, whoa, there's like there's stuff going down over here. You know, I've always noticed the Jerusalem Studio School has always done really great work, and the students come out there with – this stuff has a look to it, though. It has, a, 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 right. has an atmospheric look yeah. that's kind of an affectation, I call it, because it's not what they actually see. Right. You know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of like they have these this rules for painting that they put over top of what they see. Right. So everything's through this kind of – JSS filter, you know, but it's still really beautiful. And they have a lot of atmosphere in their paintings because they put that in. Right. You know, and it's like a convention that they're all kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost sometimes harder to see what the difference is between some of the painters. But then when they do, it's weird. I feel like schooling, I feel like with also with the Atelier movement, a lot of people are painting. You can tell what school someone came from. You can say, this is Florence Academy. This is Charles Cecil's studio. You know, this is a little bit more rendered. This is a little bit looser, and this is more blocked in. This is, like, what, how, from Jacob, like, yeah, one of yeah. Jacob's students. I feel like it's going to take 10, 15 years of those students to get out of there to really find where their voice is. Yeah. You know, to have other other kind of ideas and voices permeate that kind of shell that they've built. I think yeah. that you know, that's, an, what they like, do. they have to go through this really important stage, you know, of, I don't know, you, Maybe it's 10 years, maybe it's five years, but like of finding, kind of exploring what they're after because you're, you know, if you commit to some program, 
you might as well learn what they're teaching and you learn what they're teaching. You kind of do what they do a little bit. And yeah, then... no, I think that's a great, I mean, yeah, you definitely, you have to give yourself up to what your teacher is teaching to understand it fully to get it yeah. to get it. Yeah. You can't be, you can't be rejecting ideas. Right. You know, you, you did a, an iPad painting this is years ago now, but, uh, yeah. with the very first iPad and that thing went nuts, right? And you got the... like, a, like a million hit, like, like, hits on that yeah yeah it got it it went viral which is pretty amazing i actually had a bet with a friend of mine in california i said you know i'm gonna get i'm gonna take the ipad and do like i'm gonna have a model in the studio and i'm gonna draw him with the ipad and i'll post it i bet you it goes viral and he's like no way man what was the (laughs) bet um i forgot i don't remember what it was but it did it actually went viral it, it went viral it got picked up by all these newspapers in london and everything there's actually i'm on the cover of like one of the papers, I was the iPadlo Picasso. Uh, <laughs> uh, that is probably the worst ouch. pun I've Awful. ever heard in my entire life. It's worse than any bomb we've had on Suggested Donation no, Podcast. Yeah, so British papers. Wait, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it was like the mirror or the sun. I forget. One of those crazy uh, crazy rags. Well, do you think, <laughs> do you think that the um, using technology to sort of get your, your work out there seems like a lot of people I are think doing that. And some people are doing it really well that they're getting their work seen. I think, it's a, I think there's a divide, though. I think that the people that would see anything digital that I would do on like, a, like an iPad or such and such wouldn't necessarily care about the traditional, mm-hmm. necessarily. They, it's like a, it's a gimmick. It's, it looks it's a, cool. Yeah, it's a total gimmick. They're like, oh, wow, look what this guy did with this thing like I, photograph. I, right, I yeah. used to play like, like Candy Crush. Crush. <laughs> 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 you know, but... Uh, the and I think that the social media to get your work out there is a com, it's a totally separate thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think the social media and the idea of being with a gallery that at some point I was going to do it with galleries? Yeah. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I don't. I really don't. I feel like a well. If if oh man, this is a great question. I think of course t- it is. Like <laughs> the the way galleries are. the uh galleries are amazing because i think that without social media with they they're tastemakers right so they my gallery's been in business for 40 years they're respected which gallery is that i'm with gallery hennock in in, new york city in chelsea yeah i've been with them 15 years now yeah for a while as soon as i moved to the city i was lucky enough to get into the gallery i don't know how it was crazy and, and i took advantage of the luck you know what I mean? To, to really push my stuff. But the, uh, yeah, I think that the gallery really lends a, their respect and, and their, uh, their heritage or whatever to the artists that they choose. You yeah. know what I mean? So they, they kind of like knight you in a way as being like, this painting is worth $2,000 for this painting. So people believe them, you know, and then the work is worth that. I think that right. it, with the internet, it's more de- democratizing where everyone pays what they think it actually is actually worth. And I think that work that is, maybe it's just like someone like a Cy Twombly or like just color pen, like whatever, or doodles, like I don't like his work at all. And that would be considered a lot less because a lot less people would like it. But then if you think about the bell curve of what the average is of what everybody sees, we wouldn't really be in that realm either because I feel like what we do is we paint for other painters. Yeah. You know, we're painting, we're at the top yeah. of this pyramid of technical stuff that we're trying to achieve which is lost on so many people. Yeah. I mean, bec- I want to spend an extra right. three. Your shadows, your glowing shadows. <laughs> yeah. right. Like, huh? <laughs> right. Like I, I, I paint, I have this idea that the brushstroke lasts longer than the hand that made it. 
So I'll spend an extra year on a painting if I have to, or an extra couple months instead of rushing through something to get it done. Even though the message of the painting is already sent to maybe like 75% of the people that will see right, it. Yeah. You know, it's that, not going to get that much different to the the casual observer, but yeah, it, you're, but but to us, I'm painting like, for you guys. The gallery, yeah. the gallery yeah. must love you. Oh yeah, I'm sure, oh, no, they, I, I'm sure they love that. <laughs> Are you done? I don't Are give them done? very many paintings in the yeah. last couple of years. I had a show in 2012, uh, and I'm, I don't really want to show very much anymore I've i want to paint i had i've been thinking a lot that the solo show kind of i, I mean i i had at one point been doing one every year and so you know what is that like 30 40 paintings a year that's nuts wow it's totally nuts but it also like how do you expect to do something great if you know if you're turning out 30 paintings a year you know you you do focus on one or two paintings and the other ones i mean I would never put something on the walls that I'm ashamed of. I'm proud of everything. But I, I, I would love to take the time, and I'm, I'm starting to now by taking a lot more private commissions and doing – I haven't committed to any uh, solo shows now. And the just painting on my own commissions that are always – I feel like I can spend time on it. And exactly what you're saying, like that last – you know, it's like the last point zero 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 one percent that 0.0001% of people will actually notice the difference. But that's, that's what's critical to me. That's what like motivates me to get out of bed and spend the whole day in the studio. Yeah, I think, I think it comes down to this whole idea that I'm, I mean, I'm painting for myself in a very selfish way. I want, these, I want to be happy with myself when I'm like my last day of my life. You know what right. I mean? I'll be like, I, gave, I put in everything I could into these paintings, and I learned as much as I could. You left so it all the, out in the field, kid. Right on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh hit the showers i mean I'm, I'm up to the point now i visited antonio lopez a couple of years ago and i did a painting of him and i got oh, that yeah. vibe can, from him can you talk you about know? that a little bit w- w- tell me how that started like, yeah the whole, yeah the, the whole, well, well, the whole me, story well okay well i mean first just this idea of well i don't do commissions at all or portrait commissions and i live very meagerly so that i can just make those paintings right you know what i mean that i want to do but learning i learned that from from antonio like i don't Antonio's an amazing painter. I don't want to necessarily paint like him or copy him or, or anything, but that's what I got more from him was this, uh, this vibe of just he's so humble about what yeah, he does and yeah. he works so hard and he doesn't really care about the limelight or anything and he's almost like a legend in a way. Like, and he's kind of mythic for, for people. Like, so you're probably saying, like, how did he meet this guy in Spain and, and get this whole thing to happen? It just happened through a friendship I had, which I had l- totally lucked out was uh, a friend of mine, Borja, who lives in Madrid, had come to New York. And I'm sure you guys get those emails, those random emails, like, I love your work, I'd love to meet you, yeah, yeah. such and such. Can I come visit your studio? I, I'm from Spain. Like, I'm like... I always get, like, I have $10 million in some account, and if you give me your account, <laughs> I'll give you... Yeah, and send the painting as soon as possible, as possible, I promise. Yeah. I don't get that very much, actually. It's so weird. <laughs> I do get a lot of those. I, everyone emails me every now and then because I guess I have a, some paintings on a website in China mm-hmm. that are trying to sell my paintings. Yeah. And, and everyone's like, you should be upset. I'm like, no, dude, I'm going to order some. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just want to see wall. them. Yeah. I want to see how good or have bad you ordered? they are. You haven't ordered I haven't ordered. It's like 65 bucks for the one I want, and I really want it really bad. So you're saving up. <laughs> I'm saving up. <laughs> I'm going to do I'm it. Like, for Christmas for or something. I just think <laughs> All right, we'll start incredible. a separate kick. Starter campaign yeah. for that. So you got an email from Madrid <laughs> from this from this guy in Madrid, and I was like, okay, that's cool. And I was like, well, this was right when my son was like one or two years old, and in the house, I'm, and my studio is in my house. So I was like, you know, 
you can't come to the studio. I don't know you, but we'll meet, I'm going to be at this art opening. Actually, it was here at the Samagundi Club where I met him. And I was at the opening, and I got to meet him. Kind of was incredibly nice. And he was here for, I think, like three months. And he's a cartoonist, and he's learning how to paint. And he's, he's actually now he's an incredible painter now. He paints really amazing things. In, uh, and he's in Madrid. You got, and I'll send you guys a link or something yeah, like that to his stuff. He's really cool because he's really, uh, he's rock and roll. And we everything. need more rock and roll. It, painters need more rock and roll. Yes, it, this needs to be more punk rock. Yes. Uh, the, uh, from, your, from your lips to God. It has years. to be. You heard it first here. <laughs> <laughs> just a donation podcast. So you, so you met him at an opening and he was yeah, just yeah. like, hey. He was cool. Know. And then I was like, this guy's cool and he's cool looking. So I had him over to the studio and he posed for me for a couple drawings and stuff I did. And uh, went over, he went back to Spain like four months later. Oh, actually, you know what? I, had a, I was teaching a drawing class at, this, at the uh, St. John the Divine, uh, the cathedral up by Columbia. Oh, wow. And it was, uh, I went to Italy in 2003 and got a grant for four months to go do that and run around Italy. And when I got back... Like a travel grant? Travel grant. Yeah, I, published, I self-published my journals from there. I did a blog when I was there. With, and I, I had like 100, 200 sketches. And I put like 50 or 60 of them in it. And I self-bound uh, it myself and everything and sold copies. Well, this kid's an entrepreneur, this kid. <laughs> everything anyway, he does. So. The, uh, the guy who ran the program was really impressed and so he gave me a job teaching figure drawing and it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of money. It was, they had a, a foundation grant that paid for the model and it was free for the students. And so I could pick any students I wanted to come up and draw for free. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was cool. We had like a core group of people that were, were coming every week and it was amazing every Tuesday and we had these really great models that I could choose anybody because they paid them pretty well. Mm-hmm. The models got paid more than I did to teach. I got 25 bucks an hour to go up there, and it was a two-hour trek from Bay Ridge all the way up to Columbia. Oh, man, yeah, I and teach then at home, Columbia. And then, yeah, two hours home, right. and I was like, this is horrible. <laughs> but so cool, and I did that yeah. for about two, two and a half years or so. And so I was like, you sh-, to Borja, the guy from Spain, I was like, you should come take my class. You're here for three months, you know, it's every Tuesday. And so, yeah, he's like, he was overjoyed i guess he liked the work and i went out to spain maybe f- three or four years later and he gave me his apartment to stay in he stayed with his girlfriend he was right in the heart of madrid right on the gran via that's cool and like while i'm there i'm like this is where antonio painted you know everyone stands <laughs> oh, yeah, in that yeah. little part in the gran via takes and a picture stripes yeah everyone takes a picture from that the uh from that spot from that famous painting of his even you can even buy like reproductions of it in the oh. in the plaza mayor and everything <laughs> To Gabby Road. It is like, for painters, you <laughs> yeah. know, for for that like top ten percent. You know, that yeah. painting is so. I mean, I remember it's, seeing that painting for the first time and just being like blown away. It's ridiculous. I, I don't think I've seen the original in in, in real life. I've is seen it. it there? I've seen it in reproductions. It's. Um, I'm not sure where it's at. It's not the Rene Sophia. I don't believe. I could be wrong. I remember his sculptures being in there, and they had some like kind of doodle type stuff, like mm-hmm. kind of looser type drawings that he had done. Yeah, I wonder where that painting is. Yeah, and, and I, I saw it in Boston when he had it. Was it in Boston? I don't think it I, was I in that show. It wasn't was in it? that show. No. It wasn't in that show. No, so, did I, he yeah, I went to did that he show. Did Everybody he do a, made that pilgrimage. Yeah, Wait, did he, he do to. another version of it or some other? There's one that's like yeah, off the side right. street or up a little bit. Yeah, like maybe I think you're like, right. That's the one I'm They didn't have that one, yeah. It was like, that's got, you know, it's not there. I shot secret video of the paintings because you couldn't take photos. I wanted to get the texture that he actually had on the surface from that. And uh, like the pock marks, and it looks yeah. like it's burned with cigarettes and stained with honey or something, like dripping off of it. They're it's surprisingly so, like the surfaces are they surprising. Have so like, much history and there. weight to them. Yeah. I love that. I want that in my painting so bad. Yeah, you know, it's really. Ah, it's just I want paintings that are weighty. Yeah, you know, it yeah. look like they've been around the studio for like a hundred years. You know, <laughs> they have their own patina. Yeah. Um, 
Anyway, yeah, so so I went back to Spain, and I t- he knew how much I loved Antonio. So I guess I was coming back the next year to teach in Portugal, and I stopped again in Madrid uh, on my way through Portugal, and he uh, surprised me with a trip to Antonio's. That's awesome. Like, I literally, I wrote a whole, like, thousand, I mean, actually, I think, like, 6,000 words on this. I have it on my website of the entire experience and the email that he sent me. I actually have it quoted in there, and the first one, and he... Uh, he said we were going to a collector's house. He's like, there's this collector, and she's also an art um, like dealer type person, and she really loves your work. She'd love to meet you. And I'm like, cool. He's like, like let's punking go. you. He's hey, punking totally you. punked me <laughs> in the best possible way ever. <laughs> and, like, what Dave doesn't just... know is he's about to meet his hero. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it, totally was, it was like that, though. And so he even like pulled around. Like When he picked me up at the airport the first time we were driving through a part of Majority, he's like, oh, yeah, this is the part that Antonio lives in. I'm like, oh cool and then we went to like his his room his uh his apartment whatever and where i was staying and then uh like later on in that week like he's he's like i was at the prado 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 museum paint or drawing and i was all sweaty and disgusting and he's like this woman really wants to meet you can you meet her at like seven o'clock today and i'm like i don't i gotta get changed like should i put on like a button-down shirt just look presentable i'm like like really gross like it was a really hot 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 time in the in the city. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna cut that out. That was the biggest bomb yet. No, that was so much better than anything Tony said. That was so natural. That was the. Uh, that was that great. Was, that was the wine. That was speaking. great. Anyway, so I was like really gross, and he's like, "No, we don't have time for that. You know, we're gonna drive by and pick you up right, like, it, like quickly. Yeah. Like, can you be out front in like fifteen minutes? We got to be there." I'm like, "Okay, like, like let's just go." And I'm in the car. I'm like, you sure we can't just swing by? Like, I remember, like, being fixated on <laughs> having to change to a button-down right. shirt, <laughs> looking really presentable. <laughs> no, it was really – it was crazy. And we, we drove up to this uh, – we're driving in, that, in this, the part of town that he had originally said that. He's like, oh, see that street we just passed? He's like, that's Antonio Street. That's where he lives. I'm like, oh, man, can't we just <laughs> stop so I can stalk the guy? <laughs> like, climb over his, like, wall and, and peep. Anyway, so uh, – and we, we stop on this little side street. It's really small. And we walk up to the, up the street. And uh, they're like haciendas. So they have like gate. They're gated. But they're like big stone wall gates right. to the houses and everything. And it's like got a little intercom. And I remember him being on the intercom. And he, a woman's voice like piped in. And I don't know Spanish that well. I was kind of picking up things more being there for a week. And he wasn't sure if I was understanding what was going on. He said, your comprehension was getting better. <laughs> so I was afraid to talk to her on the, on the intercom. But I guess they were kind of in an argument. Like, like, who is this person? What are you doing here? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden the door popped open and we walked through. And I'm, I walk in this, this hacienda garden area and there's little baby head sculptures mm. in the <laughs> garden. And I'm like, this is really crazy. And this person like, collects Antonio a, Lopez Garcia. Yeah, that's what he had actually said to oh, like yeah. cover it. And then there's like a Mambrio tree. <laughs> and like, a second I've seen that. There's like a bucket of them on the front, on the porch. And I'm just like, whoa, this is crazy. But I felt like I had been there before. It was, it was really strange. And, was it uh, the same uh, place? From, it's not the same house. The, uh, no, it's not from the video. It's a different house completely. In fact, I guess an, uh, Borja said that he had, I guess an ex-girlfriend of his lived next door to a family that had posed for Antonio. And so he went to her. He was dating her at the time when he, he got the information of who the family was, called them up and asked for Antonio's phone number. And then he went searching around where the old house was trying to find where is it, where if Antonio still lived there and was like ringing on all the, the intercoms. <laughs> like he was like working hard Creeping to around. make this happen. You know, it was like so unbelievable. He so he didn't know them. 
He, he didn't know like, them. I'm no, friendly with them. No, he like made this happen. Yeah. So he was like, he's this guy is unbelievable. Like Borja really Benefuentes. <laughs> no, I mean like he's such a great artist. It's 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 we're like really really good friends. I feel you know every time I'm whenever I'm in town, like not that often anymore. You don't I call me no more, David. You don't call me no more. <laughs> Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Yeah. So, so you walk so into, I walk so into you this, go then and you see the baby heads and then. No, I walk into the, and there's a woman in a gray dress at the front of the porch. Like, you're like, she like, doesn't look like a collector. I'm like, yeah, I was like, who is this? Is this like the woman's servant or something? Like, like it's like, this is her maid you're or like something. Through your sweaty she was jacket. Wearing such a, she's wearing such a humble, humble outfit. But I'm like, she looked really familiar to me for some reason. And so we walk into the living room and I'm looking at the paintings on the wall and the paintings are very, they're her paintings, which are, she's also a painter, his wife. And they're very Antonio like type paintings, like this magic realism and, and everything. I'm like, I felt like I had been there before, like really felt like I had been there before. And then he like kind of got in a little argument, like face to face with her or whatever. And then, and then he's like, ah, 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 like I understand. And then he turned to me, he's like, he's like, we did it. I'm like, we did what? Like, you, you did it. We did it. You're here. I'm like, I'm where? <laughs> He's like, you're in Antonio's house. And I'm like, what? And it was like this fog, like lifting. And I was like, that, this makes sense. This is why I, I've been here before, you know? And that, again, that quality of, of, and so you get that with Wyeth too. You guys were talking about, um, oh, yeah, with someone who had lived that. in Pennsylvania yeah, yeah. in the Pennsylvania area where Wyeth had painted wine. the Brandywine yeah. area. Grimaldi. I think yeah. With Michael Grimaldi. Grimaldi. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you get a he sense. He was talking about the, the idea. What was he saying? Like the bone. Yeah. The um, bones, the like, bone and salt. Yeah. Yeah. It was the, such the an grit. Am- it was a great. I listened yeah. to that, that episode afterwards and his description of that. I was just like, so it, you saw, so you But you get the same sense of like, you, you, you feel like you've been there before yeah. through someone's paintings. Right. That's what I want and what I, that's like, it's the feel. Grasp for. So you were saying it's almost like not the actual, like, Oh, I've seen that corner of that room. No, it's no. It's the vibe. It's the feeling. It's, it's the complete, like you, the atmosphere. Yeah. That's all I can really think of it as because like even the color of the walls kind of like vibrate with what he's, what right. he's getting from it. And I think that just comes from this really strong honesty about what he's painting. You know, he's really trying to get at what it, he's it's so well observed and so honest that it's just it's there. Back to the idea of the soul of like, yeah, it just it, how painting, does that happen? The soul of the artwork. Does, it just happens, I guess, through an osmosis of just really studying something really hard and being in love with what you're looking at mm. and loving what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I think it really filters in because mm-hmm. I've seen lots of paintings of different things and I'm like, it doesn't really look like it. You know what I mean? Or it doesn't have that kind of vibe to it, you know, and just his his work really does. Mm. Um so that he, yeah, so, so then you were introduced and it, so I, I would, what, what it almost were, sounds uncomfortable because I almost feel like you like barged in and you were like, <laughs> well, no, I mean, I guess like, what was the well, had, why are you here? Why were they, why well, no, they I guess Antonio wasn't there at the time. And, and so I guess Antonio, he had made the appointment with Antonio oh. and I guess his wife didn't quite know what was going on. Mm. And what happened was he was, and then my friend Borja was kind of like, well, what do you mean Antonio's not here? Like, where is he? Uh, <laughs> we yeah. made this appointment <laughs> and everything, not like being a mean way or anything. But then he's like, oh, well, well, Antonio was down the street in his studio. And we're like, okay, we're going to go over to, we're going to go visit Antonio in his studio now. That's cool. After being in his house. Wow. Which was pretty amazing. So then we, uh, I ran to, my, to the car and got my, I got, Took a had shower. this little, 
Yeah. <laughs> Took a bath. <laughs> like a cat bath. Yeah. Because like, I have water. <laughs> <laughs> I just got the visual. <laughs> really fast, too. Yeah. Nice. One leg up really yeah. high. <laughs> Which was horrible because an hour later I had a hairball. Oh. It was, anyway, so yeah, we walked over there. I grabbed, I was lucky I had a, I bought like a little handy cam to take with me when I traveled to like remember things. The video that I still don't look at yeah. <laughs> uh, from all my trips and stuff. And I was able to, uh, to videotape our conversation. We hung out there for about two hours. I got wow. about an hour and 45 minutes worth of uh, the conversation. I don't speak Spanish at all, so I, I'm going to get it translated and everything. And it was, I mean, Borja's got amazing skills with, with English also. Yeah. So it was great. I felt like I could actually really communicate well with Antonio. So when you went over to his studio, you were introduced, and what, what did you yeah, ask him? Yeah, we hung what, out. What did you ask him? Oh, man. Like, I what, don't it's remember. like, what's, what are the questions? Like, I think hey, I had... uh, what kind of brushes do you use? <laughs> no, no. Actually, it wasn't that. St- it was pretty stupid. I was kind of starstruck, actually. It was more just like, what are you, like, inspiration from? Or just probably yeah. even stupid questions like that. I don't know. What's your favorite medium? <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's your favorite color? Yeah. It was, it was really, it was very fanboy, stupid, whatever. So what was the studio like? Was it, it, was, it bigger, was, grander, or more humble than you thought it would be? More humble than I thought. But I guess he actually has a few studios. Yeah. And most of his, studio, most of his painting is done actually on site. Like, he'll go to a spot. He has all these spots around Madrid oh, right. yeah, where yeah. he has canvases kind of stashed, and he pulls them out, and he just paints on that for the 15 minutes that the light is perfect, yeah. you know, which is crazy. I feel like I've seen those things on YouTube or something, uh, videos There's of a him video of him painting in Plaza del Sol. Yes, I've seen that. Where he's got yeah. this crowd around him. Yeah. And actually, the, the second time I went out there to, that I met with him, they actually had his footprints where, where he, he, painted, he paints his outline of his feet oh, so yeah. that he doesn't... In the movie, he used nails yeah, yeah. at the front of his feet, but here he actually painted his feet. And actually, that's still there oh, in, that's in, awesome. the, in the square. So I was able to stand in his feet <laughs> like, <laughs> where he stood to do this painting, you know, which is pretty awesome. What do you I, just stash his canvas? Like, where would he stash them? Like, if it's like, like in a safe house. <laughs> it's like a safe house type of thing. <laughs> um, I guess like at a business or whatever. Like, a lot of them are in, uh, some of them are, in, I think, in, in, in towers big. that are overlooking the city. Some of them actually are... Uh, I mean, I think they drive out to the mountains also and paint the city from, like, the outskirts of yeah, town and yeah. looking down on the town. Yeah. And he has these buddies that he paints with, too, which is kind of fun. I met them when uh, we did the—when I painted him, when he sat for me for, like, three hours. And I got to meet them, and they brought, like, donuts and— Did you see really their paintings? Nice. I didn't get to see their paintings, no. Because that—I no. mean, that sense of community, I feel like that, you know, like, Tony and I definitely have— like we fuel each other, you know, and we drive each other, and you know, having that community is important. I'm curious what those, uh, like, who those yeah, other are, and you know I how. I didn't. I wasn't. They came towards the end. Yeah. They kind of basically looked at the crappy painting I did, and were just like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst. You're like really hoping to like pull something off. No, no. I actually, I, did, I went into it with. Uh, I get asked all the time, "Were you nervous to paint your idol painter?" I was like. No, I wanted this to be just about the experience. Yeah. yeah. You know, painting for me is about connecting with why I'm here, why I'm alive, you know, and to make these memories as concrete as possible. And you guys know when you're landscape painting, you're so in tune with the environment that's around. You can hear construction it's, off in the distance. The you smells, can hear, the wind. Yeah. I, I still remember what it smelled like to do some of these really bad paintings I did in Italy, <laughs> you know, and connecting with, with life in that kind of way and making these memories as concrete as possible is really yeah. important to me. And so that's why I did the painting. I was kind of like nervous because I, I didn't want to take up a lot of his time, you know, because he's a, this amazing painter. You're yeah. like, you don't want to be like the guy that 
like <laughs> like bothers him or anything and and such and such but he sat he was amazing he would but how did you ask him to to sit for three hours well okay so the first time i was there um a, a friend of his that lives in his neighborhood that's is kind of his assistant that speaks english really well who works in uh in technology this guy eduardo had come to visit and he's like a, he was He's like a young guy. He's like in his mid-30s or maybe late 30s at the time. And uh, we became friends. And so he, when he came to New York, him and his wife came over to my studio because they liked what I was painting also. And so I, I, I hit him up like three years later and I was like, hey, like I was friends with him still, like stayed in contact with him and whatever. And I just had the weird idea, like, could I even make this happen? Could I go and paint him? Would he sit for me? I would love to do a portrait of him, you know, like a full-on painting portrait, yeah. which I, I did one I'm not really happy with at all. And I started another one I'm just not happy with. It's all from photo reference, and it just doesn't have the same flow that I want. Sometimes I, I work a lot from photo reference because I watch my son a lot, you know, and mm-hmm. I've, I've had to move in that direction from painting from life. I used to paint, I used to be religious about only painting from life when I was at the league and never want to do photography to use stuff. But then why? I was, uh, when I was at the league. Yeah, I mean, like, why, in ge- like, why, what's the distinction? What's the difference? Well, for me, it's just uh, I could actually get paintings finished. I couldn't do stuff. I can't afford. I couldn't afford to have models in my studio. No, I mean, why? Watch. Like, what's the difference? Do you think for for you? I don't think there's much of a difference. Why you didn't do it at first, right? Yeah, exactly. Why I yes. had to make the transition to photography? No, why, no, why you, you why were you reluctant to make the transition? Oh, oh, no. I mean, I think there's a dogma around using photos. You get. I mean, you're like, like Harvey Dinnerstein's class that I was in. He doesn't use photography so much. Maybe he does, and he doesn't tell. Mm-hmm. Anyway, a lot of painters will tell you they don't use photography. And don't don't never use photography and such and such. And then you're always bummed out when you find out that they use photography. <laughs> and you're just like, really, just just own up to well, it. Well, but and people say yes. are honest about yeah, it. Be honest. I mean, I think when people are honest about it, it's like, okay, this is part of your process. It's not part of yeah. everybody's process, yeah. but that's you know, and that's. I mean, it doesn't invalidate. Pain. I mean, the painting no, is the totally. painting, right? No, no, totally. I think just for me, I was uh, I was learning so much at such a fast clip from right. working from life that I, I didn't want to impede, impede on that. And then when I would use photo reference at that time, I was using bad photo reference. And I think that's the main issue that a lot of people have is that to be a, pa- a good painter, to use photos, you have to – I feel like you have to have years under your belt of painting from life mm-hmm. to understand form and space and, and how things turn and, mm-hmm. and what color actually does. And you have to get really good photography that's going to give you that information. Well, and I think understand. That's, that's a huge problem with the argument between using photo and not using it is yeah. people, I think, will automatically just say, hey, it's a tool. And then just and, – and sort of just go to that idea of just using photo reference instead of saying – having years, like you were saying, under your belt of working from life so you know how to interpret what's in front of you yeah i'm not i never paint a photo verbatim yeah like i print out four or five different copies of the same area of a painting that i'm working on to get the low end the high end and the mids you know what i mean Mm -hmm. or the warms the cools and and i have tons of photo reference of like the hand Mm -hmm. that i'm working from because i want to get all that information that when you work from life you see all that information but then you also have a time restraint yeah. You know, so I actually think there's pluses and minuses now of using both. I'm actually trying to figure out technology more so that I can get better photo reference, so I can use better lenses on my camera to be able to get a clearer shot mm-hmm. of what I want. And I want as much information as possible. Right. You're, I mean, you are oh, like, when I you use life, binoculars. I use, I use binoculars, right? yeah, so I can zoom in on areas. Just because I don't want an average of what I see. Because think about how the eye sees. If it sees something from far away, like six feet, seven feet away, you're seeing a blurred line right 
that may be like this to your eye. When you zoom in, you're actually seeing it closer to what it actually is. That's why it's tighter mm-hmm. when you get in closer to something. You know, it's more of what you're, you're funneling that vision in to see something that's a little bit crisper and clearer. Mm-hmm. And so you can make crisper and clearer deliberate decisions as you work. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is like a, a trend in your work, but I've noticed that a lot of the paintings, and I, I have mostly just seen paintings that you've been posting online that are newer paintings, but it seems like you're focusing on kind of older people and like wrinkly skin and really getting lost in those kinds of details. And I'm wondering if there's any connection between the technology that you're exploring to get better reference and to be able that to see all direction, that well, in that direction in your work. And, you know, maybe if... Yeah, I if, don't know. It's funny. I'm, the paintings I'm going to start painting... I started paintings on my girlfriend. <laughs> I just paint people I find important. And not I guess, wrinkly. Yeah. <laughs> not wrinkly. Sorry. Not wrinkly at all. <laughs> and so I have all these ideas to paint her right now. And so, yeah, there won't be... I guess it's um, Holocaust survivors right. tend to have some wrinkles, I guess. And I've actually... Uh, a friend of mine said I, I tend to... Um, oh, what did he say? Do you guys know um, John Nava? You know his paintings at all? No. He's a brilliant painter. He lives in Ojai, California. And he's been an inspiration for me for many, many years, and I got to meet him. And it's awesome to meet a painter that you admire that is just awesome. Yeah. You know Old, what I mean? Older. Yeah, he's older. He's, he's, um, he's been painting for a while, and he's part of the whole California kind of realist type scene. And, uh, but I, I enjoy talking with him so much. Okay. And he's come to New York a few times. We've gotten dinner and stuff, and I've been out to California a few times. And I met him at the track conference, and he did he did the keynote for a track, the first track conference. Okay. And really brilliant guy. He, uh, but he he was in my studio. And he saw the painting I was working on of Dorothy, right when I had first started. And he's like, "Wow, you're really fixating and celebrating all these all these wrinkles." Which one is Dorothy? Which painting um, is that? Can you describe it? It's a it's a woman. She has her hand up by her eye. She's covering her eye. And she has a, a cigar in her mm-hmm. in her hand, and it's a it's kind of a newer piece. My paintings take a long time. I only finish one or two a year. <laughs> I can't imagine 30. I mean, I do like a la prima studies and stuff like that and demos. Uh, but I don't, that, I don't really consider that my work. You know, that's kind of, they're all studies and right. experiments and, and teaching tools. Um, yeah, but yeah, the wrinkles, I have fun, a fun time trying to figure out, trying to get this idea of micro form right. to turn and also be unified. Right. Which is a challenge. I think younger skin is... It's funny, you guys, when you draw someone younger, you have larger distances between milestones right. within something, like, yeah, like, yeah. like markers yeah. on, for drawing yeah. and understanding how something's going to turn. You can either like turn it too, too, to balloon it too much right. or plane it too much. Yeah, it's you know too what I mean? Su- too subtle. Yeah, yeah. And, and also get the value. And, and so that's, that's fun to do and catch. And uh, I painted my friend Audrey, who has like pale, milky skin, and she was like flushed in the photography like her she had red cheeks and that was so much fun to paint for different reasons it had nothing to do with the wrinkles or anything but right i almost maybe that's a little harder sometimes to paint it, it gets really hard younger skin or yeah they both younger have their challenges really hard because yeah. of that idea that from those milestones that to go from point a to point b and have that journey mm-hmm. like if it's slightly off it looks odd yeah, yeah. Where if you have a lot of wrinkles, you have little hidden areas. Kind of, but they still have to fit on this yes. larger. Yeah, yeah. So you have to look at. You have to think of the whole. You have to unify that though. Right. That's the interesting Absolutely. part. So they they all definitely have their different challenges. Yeah. I mean, I just finished Audrey up. I think that was a painting from last year, and 
And what do you do with it? Do you keep it? I mean, do you show it? Do you try I'm, to sell it? Like, how do you finance the fact that you might do one or two or three paintings a year? Yeah, no, I've been lucky to to, to sell a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, that's Parallel Palette on Kickstarter. <laughs> We're going to be getting to that, folks. We're going to get oh there. God. We're going to get there. I'm get losing there. money on that project. Like, <laughs> I'm kind of scared that it got funded because now I have to actually like you got to really it, you lose you money on this thing. Um, you got to go through with it. It's now. like a labor of love, but I'm investing. I've already invested. I got one. Hey. I mean, I don't have it yet, but I brought it with me. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, donation. Oh, let's, let's finish this conversation, okay. then we'll get Sorry. to the palette. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, it's Bron. Jabron. Bron. Bron. I just want. <laughs> trust me, I'm saving work for myself later. Touche, Jabron. Touche. Um. Yeah. So no, I think that um. Why do I paint older people right now? Just because uh, it's what I'm interested in. I don't know. I didn't really. It's not a conscious decision at all. Right. And I, I think the next couple paintings I'm working on are. I work on like six or seven paintings at a time. I'm working on my aunt right now. She's a life size painting where she's sitting on a, on like almost like a shelf. Mm-hmm. And then I want to start another painting of her. And I do all my paintings life size. So she's probably like seventy by, thirty mm-hmm. or so inches or something across. And then that, is that on plexi mirror? That's not. That's before. So that painting's been on the easel for probably like 11 months, maybe a year, <laughs> right. you know, but I would just work on it sporadically and yeah. I got to finish it this month cause I'm going to show it at the California arts club show. Oh, cool. So I, I mean, so I, I, the original question was, um, how do you, do you feel like you can do two or three or four paintings a year and still oh, yeah. be able and, to finance your, your lifestyle? You have, you, you have a kid. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He's a young. He's like a young boy. Now. Yeah, he's, he's eight. Kids yeah. are not cheap in New York, though. Yeah. So. yeah. How have I, how do I survive? I mean, I'm, I live very, very meagerly. I don't live in the city. I live out in Bay Ridge. You know what I mean? It's kind of a. It's a little bit of a trek. It's like thirty minutes from like Chinatown and everything. And I like being out there. It's kind of isolated, so I don't have to do much. I don't have to go out all the time because I probably would. You know, because <laughs> you you want to get out of the studio and everything, but then that gets expensive also. And I, I've been lucky with these documentaries that I do to. Uh, they they sell really well as well as the teaching gigs I do. I do like five or six classes a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you lucky. have two documentaries, right? Yeah, I have. What are they? Like two, what are they called? Uh, Drawing closer to life, uh, painting a life, and then I have one I just posted on Vimeo. That's only a dollar ninety nine to rent for a week, and that's a premier coup video. Where, do, where can somebody get these? Uh, Store.davidcasson.com. Thank you. Yeah, there I'm, it is. I'm a really bad promoter. I'd rather talk about. Art. What drives the I'm art than, than trying to sell anything? I think people are. I'm losing friends right now because I'm having fun with the parallel palette things and I'm doing these memes. Those are hilarious. I, I'm having a blast. Doing, what like, are you doing exactly? You're posting these people. Posting just, these people yeah, with the palettes. Well, what we are keep you? On, well, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Let's what quit beating it, around the bush. What is this thing that you're doing? The parallel parallel palette and the yeah, so, Kickstarter campaign. I will uh, grab it. All right. Yeah. Bring it out. Bring it out. Because we are, we're gonna we're have actually, to describe are, it. On this is, what does this thing uh, come used? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Oh shit! <laughs> I've uh, yeah. This thing's, been, uh, this thing's been. This thing's been. This is a prototype. Oh yeah. So just to to fund to begin, even before I even went on Kickstarter, I, I invested about eight thousand dollars into photography, filming, and engineering to actually make a physical prototype of the actual palette, which is uh, which is doing really well. I've, I've been I've done so many paintings with it already. Um, so it comes with that lid and everything. But anyway, this is the product I'm doing on Kickstarter. So, mm-hmm. so what is it? Why, why, why yeah, make, it, why make this? What's so uh, parallel about this palette? Well, it sits, uh, it sits next to your painting. Right. So it's like you're mixing the paint on your painting. Uh, 
So you're getting the paint and the painting as close as possible so that the... Yeah, you guys know how everything is about... about, um, Here you play with it. Let's pretend I don't. Why not just put it in front of you so (laughs) it is in front of your painting instead of being parallel with your painting? Yeah, when I was at the Art Students League, I was getting back problems from having to mix, looking down to mix. Oh, yeah. And then when... I I paint very deliberately, so everything I see, I put down. Like, I want to be as... uh, um, Quick as, quick as possible about seeing things and putting it down that uh, I don't want any distractions, visual distractions going from what I see in the model to my mixture to my canvas. So your eyes going is, is, I'm is just not traveling quite as far. Not as far at all. I'm never looking down. You know. And I was having back problems by mixing up my side uh, for eight hours a day or holding a palette for eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. It, was, uh, it was frustrating. Or you know, if you're not holding your palette, all that, you're using a small palette to do these little paintings, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And then you don't have a huge mixing area at all. So I was like, you know, let's just put this, pa- I couldn't even, I had a, a soccer injury also. I used to play over at Chelsea Piers in the intern, uh, intramural type thing, uh, co-ed soccer league. And I had like a really bad back injury from that as well as painting. And I remember being like, the all only those, way. From all those Pele bicycle kicks yeah. that you were yeah. landing on your back. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, the only way I could really paint was actually to, to make it so I couldn't hold this thing or twist it all. So I was like, I'm going to put this up next to the painting and just see what happens. And uh, I learned so much about it being better because it's everything's in the same light. There's no glare hitting it. It's just so it's, direct. It's very direct. Everything's a heads-up display. Right. You know, so it's is just it mounted is, on the easel? How, how is it parallel? That's a good question. Yeah, so it, uh, there's, uh, it mounts with a tripod connector. Like oh, a photo nice. tripod. Oh, nice. And so I have a photo. There's a couple. You can use any tripod it'll fit mm-hmm. with. Uh-huh. That takes up a little bit of a footprint, but a lot less footprint than a palette on two stools. Yeah, no, I also use a, uh, I use a Manfrotto yeah. magic arm. Yeah. Do you know a magic arm? Yeah. And it, it has a super clamp. <laughs> I love the names. <laughs> yeah. And it... Uh, you can position it any way you want next to the paint. You can actually tilt it if you need it tilted at all. I like it's just straight across. Right. And I've been using, I've been redesigning it now for the last 10 years. So it's been, it's actually going to go through one more design feature. I'm going to make the, I'm going to blow this out all the way across. So it's just going to be bigger, bigger, bigger mixing It's going to be a bigger mixing area. This is going to be bigger also. And uh, I'm going to extend it a little so bit. So the whole thing, it'll get a little bit bigger and you'll have... Just as be, much room well, to put yeah. your paint out, exactly. but then a bigger mixing area. Do you yeah. think about having different sizes, like small, medium, That's, large? I did. At first, uh, you know the, the production on like one? Like an iPhone. Yeah, I can The, the production on one is already super expensive. It's $42,000 to get the injection molds made. Wow. And then to get 1,000 of them? I can do it for half that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk because we've been sourcing a lot trying to find like a better way to do it. And, uh, and a more local way to do it. So when you prototype, do you 3D print? You obviously that's what this that. is. Okay, this that's is completely 3D, print. 3D printed. Oh wow! Except really? for the back, the back is aluminum. I wanted to have some sturt, like want yeah. to make it sturdy, right. so it had some some substance to it. And then I was like, you know, I always travel and I, I teach a lot, and I wanted a cover because I know there's a lot of workshop people yeah, take yeah. workshops, and so the cover just fits right over top of it, and you can travel anywhere with it. Just slide it in your bag. Even you don't have to clean it. Hmm. You just put the, the lid on it. And I think the, that also keeps the paint longer. Like it if does. you have a paint on an open palette, you leave it overnight in the studio, you get skin the next day. Yeah. But if you cover it up, those paints will stay it's not, fresh. It's not completely uh, airtight, though. Yeah. Uh-huh. But if you put a little bit of clove oil on a little cap yeah, on the inside, yeah. it'll help hold it. Help you it know? And I'm actually, the next design features is what I want to do is, this is plexiglass. Um, the mixing the area. The mixing area, which is chemical resistant. And you can... You can totally scrape it off with a plastic scraper, a plastic razor. But you might we'll scratch it up. It might scratch up a little bit. I'm actually going to include tabs on the sides 
I think, that you can actually slide a piece of picture frame glass oh, in nice. there if you want to use glass yeah. also, which will just be like maybe a little track here, a little track here and there on the sides, and you can slide glass in there and... and we can sell you the glass, or you can buy it. Like I want to make it um, a standard. Mark it up, though. Standard, mark standard it up. size. No, no, no. That's no. where the money. That's where that's we right. make our money. It's the no, glass. this is not about money at all. <laughs> like if this is a, this is. Put a little divot to the clove oil in there too. That's what oh, I'm going to do. Yeah. Also. That's a good thing. Yeah. A little clove oil. Cap, like I'm area. gonna get a, you can get a percentage for that, right? <laughs> that's back. where, yeah, the, like, the clove oil is. accessory. That's where we make our money. Yeah. No, but there's uh... a. <laughs> <laughs> that's where the money is. Get <laughs> you going places. No, that's all. These companies are going to come up with their accessories for the parallel palette. Yeah, that's where the money right. is. They're right. going to be like, like the iPhone, like, like app iPhones. developers. Like yeah. have your. Uh, actually, it's gonna. We have this idea to make a little sack, like out of recycled uh, materials. Nice. Where like so that's these people great. can throw it into a little sack. Also, just. Just for fun, you know, like make them like all funky colors, like old flannels that you buy, you know, <laughs> make it into like a bag, Wood like color. a drawstring bag. Yeah, it'd be kind of cool. I don't know. So, like so what you did is you had this idea, you had it, you know, made, and then you started a Kickstarter campaign for it. Yeah, so I started the Kickstarter about a, m- a month, like I guess four weeks ago or five weeks ago. To fun making these. To fun making it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was at... It's so stressful to do a Kickstarter because you put a goal amount, and sixty thousand dollars is is a huge amount to me, yeah. and and even that I did the numbers. I'm like, this still isn't going to cover it, yeah. which is sad because Kickstarter takes a percentage. They take a six percent cut, and then there's transaction fees on top of that. So that's close to eight nine percent plus. Shipping is included in the Kickstarter fee, oh, yeah. so when people buy it, they pay ten extra dollars or twenty dollars right. to ship it worldwide, and then that is in the Kickstarter fee also. So then you still have to you have to pay that to get the pallets to people. So right. that's another six or seven grand on top. So that cuts into the any manufacturing costs. So actually, to actually, so I don't have to invest more of my money into this, which I've already put eight thousand dollars into. I have to reach about closer to eighty, eighty-five thousand dollars to actually make it, so it's actually wow. doable. But it's fine. I mean, that's why people are like, "You're doing this to make money." I'm like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> "This has been not a headache, but it's been a mental, creative challenge to get the word out about it and not annoy my friends right. as much as possible." Like having a podcast. You know? Like, <laughs> so did you reach the goal? Yeah. So we uh, about four days ago we got sixty thousand dollars. Congratulations! Thank you. Congratulations, and sir. It's still been going strong, though. It's still, I think we're almost at like $4,000 over the goal. And I'm, per, I'm going to continue uh, blasting these funny memes. Sure. Because I'm having a blast doing it. And I'm losing friends on Instagram for doing it, <laughs> which I think is awesome. <laughs> because it's like a natural selection. Like the people who like my work they're gonna will stick, be like, they're this gonna is kind of cool. Yeah. And we want to support them as a community. And the people who don't, like, I don't need those people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. So, I mean, there's something... Um, I mean, Ted and I talk about this a lot is the, the idea of community and uh, being around that and supporting, you know, all, each other. No, this is a huge way of doing that, though. Like, I'm so bummed. I want to be a part of this. Like, I want to, like, shut down the sketchbook live and, like, be part come of what you guys out. are doing. Dude, you know what I mean? I love this. invite anytime you want to yeah. come. Anytime. Uh, just crash. Like, Even if there are times, time. like, we, you know, we, so let's say we have a guest. Just yeah. like, dude, you want to be, be third mic? Or, or fourth mic with you know. I know right but just, then it'd be yeah, like it'll J, be a party bump J, bump. I think everybody will be coming over and hanging out yeah but then we're <laughs> gonna get so many complaints of people going people are gonna unfollow us on Instagram you keep blah, interrupting blah, blah, blah. the guest <laughs> and then people and people don't understand it it's like we're hanging out wait do people out. actually say that uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> Not me. <laughs> but the uh, idea is like, yeah, I mean, the community, all this stuff, the fact that you're doing a parallel palette, the fact that we go to each other's openings, that we know what's happening um, – I think it's important that we all not only support each other, but also, I'm not going to say criticize, but at times go like, hey, you know, I know what you're doing. And, and, and don't do that to me. Right this now. person. Can- <laughs> I'm in a very vulnerable. <laughs> but the idea is that we're all we're all we're going for a bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I also think that what's also what you guys are doing is so this whole movement in quotes, because we're not going to know what this is until 40 years from now, if, yeah. if there's a buildup. And I think that the Internet's making the world a lot smaller so we all understand we can we know everybody in the game or whatever you but know it's also moving stuff. so much faster that it's like a little hard to tell what's going well, on i think it's because of, I, I truly believe in this idea of community and that a rising tide lifts all boats yeah yeah and so we're all learning from each other we're all growing together in different aspects and there's less of a divide between all of us and i don't think there should be a divide in painting at all i feel like any divide that feel, in painting comes comes from ignorance. Do you but feel like, like there is a divide right now? I feel like if someone is is trashing a realist painting and saying, "Oh, we wanted to stick a photo," blah blah blah, they don't really understand what painting is, right? Because they don't understand texture, luminosity, and and having mistakes and successes in the same painting, and and the humanness of it, and right. anything anything that's honest and celebrating humanity should be worth to be should be done but where do you think that fits into the art world like the contemporary i mean like if you go to the armory show or something like how does that fit in because it seems like you're after something really honest really sincere and not at all ironic and i feel like and not gimmicky like yeah no i don't want any soulful thanks yeah Oh, and, wow. I'm, I'm definitely trying to figure out how to do that. But that's not, like, when you go to, I don't know, Art Basel, like, that's not what they're doing there. Okay, so, I mean, who is a contemporary hero for most people who's a celebrated painter? One of the top celebrated painters ever was Lucian Freud. He was a gutsy paint everything you can get, capture the pathos of the sitter as much as possible, honest painter. You know, technically he was okay. I mean, I, I'm not the best technical whatever painter, but what he did, he was a figurative painter. Mm-hmm. Bare bones, you know what I mean? So he was doing kind of what what I'm after, you know? I, I look at him a lot. Mm-hmm. Not for technical stuff, but for this idea of concept of what he was painting. Right. And I think that there is a there is an undertone of that within the contemporary painting world that I think that's open. I've got asked to be in contemporary art gallery i mean i can't believe josh liner wanted to show my stuff mm-hmm. you know what i mean and these are very contemporary gallery why why are, why do you feel like that you're surprised at that i mean your work is really good i think there's a universal hey that's that's like that's quality stuff that everybody well likes. except like we we're talking about except ignorant people who yeah. are who i feel like build walls around what they have because of the whole scarcity theory like where if there's less of some if someone gets a collector oh, no, there's less of that collector's not going to buy my painting because they just bought someone else's painting. Mm. And so you feel threatened. Like there's less of something out there in the world for you. When, I mean, Dr. Wayne Dyer always says that the, the universe is abundant. <laughs> <laughs> and that we should. <laughs> so the, uh, I actually believe in that. I believe in that, like, my set of collectors are going to be interested in what I do and what you do. And, and it's like just... It's, it's that whole rising tide. We want yeah. to have a sense of community, no ignorance at all. That's why I love abstraction, because I want to understand it. I want to understand what's behind it. There's complete bullshit out there. Yeah, yeah. If, but if something is done with honesty, I feel like the first abstract expressionist painters, like the Kooning and all those guys, 
some of the work I like, some of it I don't, some of it speaks to me, some of it doesn't, but I still feel like it came from a very honest place. Mm-hmm. I think if they're, if you're retreading that and you're adding irony to it, that's bullshit. I'm not going to like it. You know what I mean? Like I've mm-hmm. seen people do versions of Archimbaldi's paintings, but make it like weird and gooey and whatever and such and such. I'm like, yeah. Why do you, really do, why do you think me. the like the added the added idea of irony is in so much stuff nowadays? Like I do see it. I oh, see, no, it's, I, I it's just really, I, it's slathered on stuff, and I'm wondering funny. what do you th- why? I mean, uh, I think it, uh, it's weird. I was at a college up in. It's weird. I, I got asked to teach at University of Alaska. It was Whoa. it was crazy. <laughs> so I, I flew up there and I did a demo and a lecture and everything. No, but to answer the question is. Uh, they were. I went. I sat in on some of the critiques, and there was a teacher there. It was like, "Oh, this is really great, but like, can you change it this way to make it more ironic?" <laughs> and <laughs> they, I just think, a, they, said they that were to actually you? saying that, not to me, but to the wow. the student they were critiquing. It was like a um, wow. something about like, That's a, like a an animal or something. Like, <laughs> no, I think that it's. Um, God, that just like that music, just that's like in that, music. That, it's bet hedging. I feel in music, like when they add irony, they're like, "No, but if you don't like it, we're just kidding." You know, well, what it's I mean? like LOL. Yeah. It's like I could text anybody right now. I said, "You know, I just like murdered and raped somebody." LOL, LOL. and LOL. everybody's like, "Oh, you're off the hook for saying something awful." I mean, it's easy. Like, I'm sure we could come up with ten ideas right now that are easy to to do in a painting that would piss off a lot of people. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? So like the whole sensations exhibition. And then we could actually in, find credible in, in Brooklyn. You're talking the sensations that launched uh, launched the YBAs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that, that big show that launched that made all these paintings worth a lot of money and was was Giuliani tried to shut down. Yeah, yeah, which just helped. Like, right, totally, I know exactly. Yeah, man, he added nobody couple, would have paid any yeah, attention. He added a couple zeros to all yeah. his price tags just right. by uh, string uh, giving it publicity. I don't know, and, and having the money to be able to have it funded is kind of is helpful. You know, have his bad ideas. Funded. I mean, but they think they're good ideas, which is kind of ironic. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I don't really know that much about the contemporary art world. To be honest, I really just hold myself up in my studio at home yeah. and just, just try to paint what I want to paint. I mean, occasionally I'll go to, like, I will go to some of those things, like the Armory Show, and just check it out. And, you know, here and there you see something that really you're impressed by and is really great. But uh, the bulk of the stuff is either gimmicky or kind of ironic, which feels to me always like a cop out. Like somebody's not brave enough to just put a sincere idea out there, but they're just you know. I think there's going to be a backlash for that. I mean, I keep hearing, I kept hearing really bad reviews of Art Miami Basel this year. Oh yeah, well yeah, that's we're... been building for years. Like yeah. the whole meat market idea that they keep, you know, everything is all, is based around this fame game in a way, and then all it is is turning into huge egos, and then. All, all this money is being poured into it that it's got to, I really do feel that it's going to pop, but it, it might be like 40 years from now. Right. I don't think it's ever been the group that really, well, like somebody been, else labels it. I, I don't, I guess like the surrealists had a manifesto and blah, 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 and whatever. We need a manifesto. <laughs> yeah. I think the pre-Raphaelites, did they? Did they have a, man- I think they named themselves. Yeah. Actually. I think that it's just going to happen on its own. And yeah. I think that it, it's, everybody's going to know everybody anyway. And if everyone just works on their own stuff in their own way and, and trying to be, you know, in their own studio, it, each individual idea is going to come out and the good ones will filter to the top and the bad ones won't, you know, it's just going to happen. And, and the way that the way to accelerate that only is really through deep pockets. You know, people with a lot of money really have to put the, their money where their mouth is when it comes to the art. Right. You know, and I don't think that's really done. Like 
these guys that are funding this contemporary art movement are putting millions and millions and millions of dollars into it. Yeah. You know, to really prop up what it is that they have, you know, and that's the only really thing that's making it stay stable in any way, shape or form. And I think that with the whole do it yourself movement is like, we're doing everything ourselves, you know? And I think that that's going to, that honesty is really going to come through. It's almost like the beautiful, um, shoot. What's the, remember the, uh, Ed Templeton, beautiful losers, beautiful losers movement and stuff. And I think that that was awesome. You know, these guys were doing it all on their own and it got propped up and eventually became pretty big, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of filtered out or kind of led to the more lowbrow movement and everything. But it kind of, really kick-started the whole modern lo- lowbrow movement. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, more intellectual lowbrow in a yeah, way, yeah. you know, which I think is more accessible for people because collectors will see something that they're either made to be, they're coaxed into, this is really smart, you have to read this book on this painting to understand right, it. Yeah. And if you don't read this book or you don't buy it, you're dumb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You aren't, you aren't really... Your you're, opinion's useless. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's there's something powerful in the fact that somebody can go up to your painting and not need a manual to look at your painting. No, exactly. They look at it and they say, it's beautiful for this, it's intriguing for this, it's uh, inviting for this reason. I think all, I think a lot of the artists that we admire and, and whether they're contemporary or old master, they all have that quality of not having not needing the backstory. Yeah, you don't need a manual to no. understand it. So it would you sh- say you're a populist it. painter? A populist painter. <laughs> but you know what I'm I mean? a socialist painter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Social like, realist. Well, I, <laughs> I instantly can connect with one of your paintings because I, know, yeah, I know what I'm looking at. For me as an artist, I totally connect with your paintings because it's the environment of the studio also, yeah. you know, in a lot of cases, especially the new one, yeah. which is amazing. Josh showed that to me uh, Six, seven months ago, maybe? Yeah. He, uh, he's like, you got to see Tony's painting. He's working on this commission. Yeah. That he's already, it's like, he told me who bought it and everything. And I was like, that's awesome. It was fun. You know what was, I mean? It was definitely fun. It's weird because in the last podcast, we talked a little bit about it. But, it, you know, I thought about the idea of what you were saying with, you know, people who have the means to support us. That the results can be, you know, better in the sense that if we were – if you were sitting there and able to uh, just spend all your time on, you know, one or two paintings a year, you know, you can just, you can really get well, them they, to an, an, another level. They have an inherent value too by doing that. You know, you put, I think of a painting as a collection of thoughts. You know, yeah. Everything is yeah. a deliberate yeah. thought that we're, we're coming up with based on the subject. So these paintings are that flypaper for that, that collection of thoughts. And so what people buy when they buy a painting, for, hopefully of mine, I don't do paintings for people's couches or, or my stuff's not decorative in any way, shape or form. It's kind of challenging. It's people, people don't know right. don't, who wants to buy that. It's not necessarily quote unquote beautiful people because I'm after truth as opposed to beauty because truth holds beauty in it. And then there's also some rawness and some grittiness. The, um, but the weight of the painting is, is in the, the time I've spent with every little nuance being thought out. Every little, every little inch of the painting is being, is being uh, considered. And so that, again, adds, I feel like adds inherent value, adds weight to what it is that I'm spending my valuable time doing. You know, time is the most valuable thing that we have. It's something you can't get back no matter how much money you have. You know, and so what I, you choose to put into the painting is, is there, you know. The way that, I, I guess a collector would have to be really, but 
it's challenging, you know, my work. Mm-hmm. So the people that have supported me really believe in me, right. which has been, which is also really heartening. It's really yeah. amazing that someone would pay whatever the gallery thinks one of my paintings is worth for a piece of my life, you know, mm-hmm. and something that I really have struggled over. You know, these paintings are, again, they're also rec- records of yeah, my yeah. successes and my mistakes, you know, almost more of my mistakes as I get older, because <laughs> hopefully I'm, I'm learning so much more. And, but the, uh, the idea of the money thing with, with people that would really believe, us, believe in us in that kind of way is what we need. Not people that just buy it and then they're like, matches the couch, move on. They, right, they, right. they don't really, you want people to brag about your work. Mm. Like I own a, a Sierra and I. You know, I want to, I, I do, I want to buy one. I'll <laughs> trade you. How about okay, this? I'll, deal. Do, I'll deal. trade you instead. And, and definitely one of, one of Ted words. You have one of my paintings. I do. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I want a bigger one though. <laughs> that was what amazing. That, like, two by three. Yeah. Whatever a Metro card is. <laughs> I forgot I have that. That's amazing. It's framed up and everything. It's uh easiest frame I've ever had to buy. I just went to like. The local you store. got the metro card like sheath the thing to like hold the it wallet. and hold it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got it like that day. I framed it in a <laughs> wallet. The train and, home. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but, oh, that's an amazing piece. I love it. He did a wave that's crashing that I bought at the oh, yeah, a metro, metro card. card. Yeah. I think they were selling the metro cards for like a hundred. It was a hundred. It was a great show. Was, I don't. Know. Yeah. They did it twice, and they were just like oh, people. Great. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I I added one too, a painting of my father. It was a study for the painting of my dad. And uh, Cesar Santos bought it. Oh, that's awesome. And he said that they mailed it back to him. They, I guess you weren't allowed to take them until after the show. Yeah. yeah. And they mailed it to him. And I guess he said that uh, the painting had fallen off, off the card. Oh. <laughs> like he said there was like pieces and chunks off oh, of the man. painting. And he, he said he took it to a conservator to fix it. I was like, that's <laughs> awesome. send it to you and be like, I'll repaint it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I remember painting it and... Uh, Thinking like, had, is this uh, archival? My friend, my friend Eddie uh, was going to the city and he took it. He, he brought it over to the gallery for me to drop it off. I built this little box because it's still wet. I literally oh, yeah. was painting it. Yeah. And right before he came, I, I like, uh, had a hair in it. And you ever have a hair in a painting yeah, that yeah. small? And you go to take it out. And, you know, you have to do the, uh, the like, stab and lift yeah, to yeah. try to get it out. And I, like, stab and lift and took out, like, the entire left side <laughs> of his face. Because it's so and small. And like, yeah. had to knock that back in. It was kind of pretty awesome. Um, but, uh, but anyway, this idea about collectors that really believe in what we – always get off topic. I'm kind of rambling. <laughs> We really need to like build like an amazing gallery in like the heart of Manhattan or something, you know, that's really contemporary white cube space that's really intelligently done. But do that's going to help it, people. I mean, do you think it's a gallery that's going to do it? Like, do you think that's going to change the taste of? You think or, a museum or, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. You know, I don't know. Maybe. Because the Dayhesh was around, but they didn't really handle a lot of contemporary work. Yeah. And I don't know what the money they had behind them to really do it because it must have run out. They must yeah. have went through their burn rate. You know, I, I really don't know. I think that that's what it's going to take, though. It's going to take, like, a like a consortium of maybe, like, nine or ten insanely rich people, like like a Larry Gagosian rich. But they'd have really... to kind of get, I think, let go a little bit, let the artists kind of just do what they're going to do. But that's what they and... do already, though, in the contemporary art world. Yeah. They don't know what Tracy Emin is doing, like, I don't know if she's even, like, doing a drawing. She just throws a pencil at a piece of paper, and she's like, calls it a drawing. Mm-hmm. That's letting go of caring about what the subject or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Then yeah. you have some really great writer write some bullshit about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what it is. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. You keep doing what you're doing because I think that's going to help. And all of us, hopefully, will keep doing what we're doing because you said it all. 
and I wanted to like we're definitely running out of time, but yeah, I wanted to thank you. They're so asking much us to get out. Salmon Gundy Club is giving us the The sun is coming up. I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wanted to thank you for coming by and just like talking about. Dude, it's a yeah, huge it was honor. Not, not fun, only experience, man. but just like your ideas and your thoughts. And stuff. Oh, we meant it. Like you come back anytime. Oh, cool. We'll talk Thanks, more guys. About stuff and uh, and uh, uh, parallel palette. That's uh, you've 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 reached your goal. Yeah. But, uh, what's your but, website? Uh, well, my website's davidcasting.com. But... Davidcasting.com. And you have a <laughs> and, you have uh, you have a found you have like a oh yeah I have a foundation too. yeah if everyone should apply type... for the foundation just cassinfoundation.org and, and you, you give help... grants to people who are studying art and music is that it? yeah I have two well not necessarily studying just anybody who they could be any age mm-hmm. and who is insanely talented but can't afford to go and take a two three months off to make their paintings to get mm-hmm. into a gallery or do that kind of thing it it all stems from this idea when I was. Uh, one of my best friends in high school and growing up since actually since I was six years old, he's a musician, you know, and, and this idea that he's been struggling. He plays like cover gigs and all to like afford things. I was like, what would he do if I could give him like five grand? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that would help with an album. It wouldn't be a complete album, you know, I like get everything mastered, or everything, but it would be helpful. And then I thought for an artist to take a few months off from work to help pay rent or something, yeah, yeah, you know, like five grand. I mean, I'm trying to make it more as much money as I can afford right. because it's pretty much funded through – I do demos for workshops and I, I auction off the demos. And so I auction them off. I start them at five bucks. Sometimes they go for 50 bucks for a drawing. Sometimes they go for 6000 you know, and I throw most of that money towards the foundation. Mm-hmm. So I've gotten um, – this year it's 5000 I'm hoping next year to raise more money. We just got non-for-profit status. Uh, maybe four or five months ago. 401c3? Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, it's been, that's hopefully going to help drive more uh, donations, even though I, it's a labor of love. And I, I hate asking people for money or for donations. I feel like people should just know about it. Here's what it does and help out. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. It's also the same as like, I'm really bad at just like trying to make anybody buy anything or sell anything or, you know what I mean? It's a, yeah, no problem. Thank you guys. That's a great thing you're doing. So uh, again, Anytime you want to come, thanks so much for coming and hanging oh, out. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, super fun. And I had a super fun time, and thanks for the the Johnny Walker blue light. Oh man! All right, and thanks. And for, thank you, Jay Braun. Thank you, Jay, Jay Braun. You're thanks awesome. to Salmon Gundy Club. Oh, All right. Anyway, thanks for coming. We'll see you guys soon. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. A cat who likes lasagna. 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 Ed doesn't like abstract things. That up. Stop interrupting. <laughs> You heard it here first. It's still, you know, we're still recording live. Yeah.